I think sometimes we can look at the building, maybe even look at the denominational connections and think, oh, there's no life there. When in fact, Christ has his people all over, sometimes it's sheep without a shepherd. I think maybe we'd be surprised uh, at, at how many sheep God has scattered throughout and they they just need a faithful shepherd to, mm -hmm. to patiently bring the word and nourishment and health back to um, sometimes dying congregations. Welcome back to the Small Town Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Whittinghill. As always, our goal is to encourage and equip you as you faithfully labor and serve the Lord Jesus in small places. We've heard the need for more encouragement uh, in equipping and resourcing around revitalization. It's such a, a, a beautiful work and an important work uh, all around New England as uh, the Lord Jesus loves and treasures his church and wants to see sheep that are without a shepherd or that are struggling nursed to health. And so it's with great joy that we've got Nate Oliver on the show today. Nate is the senior pastor of the Federated Church of Willington, Connecticut. He has been serving there for just over five years and has gleaned a lot of wisdom uh, in that time from others and from his experience. And he was gracious to share uh, his story and lessons that he's learned from the Lord in the work of revitalization with us today. So enjoy this conversation. May the Lord use it to bless you and equip you as you seek to serve him where you are. Well, Nate, man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for your time. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I've been looking forward to this one for a while now and uh, conversation around church renewal and revitalization is a is a big time felt need. So it's going to be good to pick your brain and get some wisdom from you on it. Uh, before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about you and how you came to Christ, how you ended up in New England, because it, like me, doesn't sound like you're originally from here. So tell us a little bit about your story, man. Yeah, I've got that Southern New England accent. Uh, yeah, so uh, I grew up in South Carolina, um, grew up in a Christian home. My parents, I think when I was about five, started getting really serious about the Lord and following him. And so, you know, just growing up in the church, um, grew up in, in some good churches that, that preach God's word. And, you know, looking back on my life, in a lot of ways, there are times where, you know, just I don't remember ever not believing in Jesus. That was just kind of the warp and woof of our household and what we did and what we were about. And had a father and a mother who loved the Lord and taught us those things. And um, yeah, so so grew up in that and then did the, you know, what some affectionately call the the Baptist Mardi Gras. You know, you get to the end of high school and go into college and kind of drift. Um, so I, I, I was in a a church and, and had felt called to ministry when I was 17. And, uh, you know, things out there just look too exciting and fun and, you know, kind of put ministry on the back burner and, and began to kind of do the Jonah thing and, and running from the Lord and um, just being foolish, sinful young man and stupid in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like everything that my dad used to regularly say, be sure your sin will find you out. It, it eventually kept catches up to you. And, 
and you know just at one point hit hit rock bottom and I had parents who had been praying for me family friends who had been praying for me I knew where to go I, I knew to run to Christ and uh just I just remember one morning uh just opening up the Bible and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done being an idiot and uh, rebellious and found myself in Galatians. And in particular, Galatians 2.20, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I just said, Lord, I'm yours. Mm-hmm. Do with me what you will. Um, I, I want to stop running and I want to start pursuing the calling you've, you've placed on my life. And so with that, I, um, I was still in school and my parents had moved up to New Hampshire. My father had been a pretty successful entrepreneur, businessman, um, and he had sold his business because he felt called of the Lord to go plant a church in New Hampshire. Hmm. So he had uprooted the family. I stayed in South Carolina, uh, had been up to New Hampshire some and spent some time up there and uh, had come back back and forth a little bit and then you know after after this just decided lord i, I don't know what you want to do with me uh but do with me what you will so i went moved up to new hampshire my dad had met a guy you you may know him a guy named mark ballard um he has since gone on to start northeastern baptist college in vermont but he was doing a uh really trying to train pastors and um you know, a training program for, for guys on the ground doing church planting. They had a real big heart for church planting. So I got involved there and, and started taking classes and working there and, and doing all that and just pursuing the Lord in that way. And um, I was in New Hampshire for a good long while helping out my dad. I was kind of pulpit supply for a lot of churches in New Hampshire doing all that. And then at some point, through all that, through a mutual friend, I met Tracy, my wife. Uh, she is originally from New Hampshire. So I, I like to jokingly say our kids are just going to have weird accents. Um, you know, <laughs> it might be something like it's wicked cool, y'all. Um, <laughs> but she was up in, she was an athletic trainer up in Portland, Maine. We had met through a mutual friend at uh, the church I was working at. And, um, you know, just it was great. Like we got to know each other and ended up getting married. And here we are five kids later. And so we just began to do ministry where we were helping out where we could. I was working bivocationally. I was working at Liberty Mutual doing the ministry thing, but it, it was, we had our first child, then our second and trying to do ministry and, and, and work there. It was just, it was, it was too much. And so we just started praying about, um, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where, where do you want us to be? Uh, we, we wanted to be in New England. We wanted to remain in New England. We love it here. Um, we, we see there's a great gospel need here. Um, and so we started thinking and praying. And I had met a guy who was a church planner here in Connecticut, a guy named Aaron, who I had met. And we were just talking. And I told him, I said, hey, man, just be praying. We're going to put our resume out Um put our resume out around New England. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. He actually said, Oh, we're actually looking for somebody. And, and it was a church plant on the campus of UConn. And so just through turn of events, uh, we said yes to that. And, uh, but, but it was, it was one of those because college students are broke. Um, we had to raise our own money to get here. 
-hmm. So we began to do that and the Lord just blessed. I think within like a year and a half, we had the funding to come down here to Connecticut, um, the quiet corner. And it, it felt very much like where we were in New Hampshire. It's, it's rural. It's a lot of folks are down to earth. It, it's not what we were expecting Connecticut to be like, to be honest. We weren't sure, but coming down here, it's like, oh, Yukon's like in the middle of cow pastures. <laughs> I would have guessed that. So we came here, we worked there for a couple of years. And, and um, throughout that time, we met Sunday nights. And there was a, a church down the road that someone approached me about and said, hey, they're, they're looking for a pastor. Um, this church down the road hasn't had a pastor for, I think it was a year and a half. It had been a good long while. And would you be willing to go fill the pulpit on Sunday mornings? And I, I said, sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. And uh, kind of went, uh, it's a congregational and Baptist church, um, kind of thinking I was going to have one shot because you never know. So I went and said, I'm just going to preach the gospel and we'll see that I'm assuming they'll never invite me back. It was a wrong assumption on my part. And, you know, it was a small church, the Federated Church of Willington, where I am now. And they kept asking me back. And then they asked me to be their interim pastor. We, we ended up leaving, um, the church plant I was at, and they asked me to be their pastor. And so here we are about six years later from when I started preaching there. I've been the pastor for, I guess, five years now uh, at the Federated Church of Willington. And here we are. That's the, that's the short story. So from South Carolina to New Hampshire, to marriage, to five kids, to Connecticut, Yukon, and now uh, Willington. I will never tire of hearing stories of God's redeeming grace in people's lives and then his providence, just watching him move you around and you not knowing all that he had for you next with each of these successive moves, you know, moving you to New Hampshire, like mom and dad, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm at my wife here. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like it's just a beautiful thing to watch and is hopeful for uh, turns that we take now where we don't know what he's doing, um, but we can trust him. I didn't know what a federated church was till a year ago. You were telling me about your experience. So you may need to unpack that a little bit. And then, I mean, did you already have a heart for revitalization or is it just something that the Lord brought you into? Uh, so break that down for us, what you mean by federated church. And if this was something that you had been preparing for something that just kind of fell into your lap. Yeah. So I didn't know what a federated church was until six years ago. And it is something that, that, providentially fell in my lap. And so basically what it is, is um, we had a con congregational church in town that started in 1727. Uh, so, you know, our, our church has roots back before our country began. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then a, the Baptist church came in in 1828 in town. So you had the typical New England, you know, uh, churches across the street from each other with the town green in between. You got the Baptist one, and you got the congregational one. So you got the Pado Baptist and the Baptist. Um, and, and so through some, I, I don't know all the history of this, but uh, the congregational church had, had kind of dwindled. Um, this was about 1910 and they couldn't afford a pastor. And so they decided to bring the two churches together and say, hey, listen, we have a difference on baptism. Our church polity is the same. Uh, we're both congregationalists, but we have a difference on baptism. Uh, we believe that to be a secondary issue. And so we're going to come together as one church and, and recognize both believers and paedo baptism. Uh, so they did that in 1910. 
they came together and, and formed the what's called now the Federated Church of Willington. Uh, so in a lot of ways, they were willing to say, listen, our our ties are greater to one another, even though we have differences of baptism, but we want to live together. You know, the, the plaque on the, the Baptist building, um, you know, in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty in all things charity. And, and this yeah. church has, has kind of lived by that motto um, from the get-go. And so it's really unique. It's different. It's um, a congregational and Baptist church that have come together and recognize one another's differences and um, not, not shied away from talking about those differences, but also said we can live life together. We need more of that. It's beautiful to see believers have differing convictions if they arrive at them from the word and to be able to say, let's stay united around Christ and his gospel. And then let's love each other through differences and talk about him. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, you know, I kind of jokingly say, I mean, just providentially, uh, I grew up first 13 years of my life, Presbyterian. Uh, and then my family through certain, certain circumstances went to, uh, Southern Baptist Church. Um, so I've kind of grown up in both wor worlds. Uh, and now I'm living in, <laughs> in both worlds now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's messy. It's not, you know, and, and I can understand how some folks convictionally couldn't do it um, on both ends of the spectrum. But I think it, 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 I, I could be wrong. I think you may see some more of this going forward a little bit as, um, you know, you see people saying, listen, this is a secondary issue we can agree to disagree about. And there, there's a testimony to some faithfulness here, um, even amongst those differences. And, uh, again, it's not for everybody. And I get, I can get that. But, um, and we have, since I've been here uh, two years ago, we actually, um, I jokingly say we poached a guy from the Presbyterian church. We have a associate pastor who was an elder at the Presbyterian church down the road and he's with us now. And so, uh, you know, a, a, a Baptist and a Presbyterian walk into a church, uh, start of a good joke, but that's where we're at. Maybe. Yeah. Um, maybe. <laughs> or a fight. <laughs> uh, so man, let's spend the rest of our time. I want to, I want to glean from you, uh, because I've, I've not been part of a revitalization, but I know that the local church is precious to Jesus and that, the work of revitalization speaks to that, that Jesus has promised he's going to build his church and he can move powerfully still. Uh, he still loves this place. He still loves these people and he still has a plan. And sometimes God uh, will ordain and providentially move for a local church to close its doors. But I love the work that you're doing and the work that, uh, men all over New England are doing and seeking to see the spirit of God breathe life and, and fresh vision and hope back into uh, a local church. So man, talk a little bit about some lessons learned. Um, some of the things that the Lord's taught you or shown you along the way in that, that might be helpful for people that find themselves towards the beginning of the same journey you've been on. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it still feels fresh and, and new. I mean, we're five years in, so, you know, I'm still a rookie at this. 
Um, but there's been a lot of guys in New England that have been doing this for a long time and, and really helpful organizations like Overseed and, and others that, that I've learned from and gleaned from and still are. And, you know, it, I think a lot less than it used to be, but there used to kind of maybe be a like, hey, we're just going to church plant. That's what New England needs. And, and it certainly does. Uh, but it also ha- is ripe for revitalization. Uh, because as I've stepped into our church, they were, uh, you know, dwindling and uh, they, they had kind of done a survey on what they were looking for in a pastor and um, weren't quite sure. And, and pro- again, providentially uh, for both of us, neither one of us were expecting what, what has happened since. But one of the blessings, and I think about this in New England all the time as I drive past um, you know, old church buildings with dying churches inside. Uh, man, New England is ripe for revitalization. And, and each church is going to be different. Not every church is going to be able to be revitalized. I, I stepped into a place where they were Bible believing. Uh, they had never had anybody teach expositionally, typically, you know, following books of the Bible and things like that. But they were a people who wanted to honor God and believe his word and, and did. Uh, but the footprint we have in town, I mean, we've been here since 1727 and we have a good relationship with the town. Um, you know, the church was kind of on the front end of starting food pantry, doing ministry in, in the town. And so, you know, by having, you know, a big prominent building in town, actually two, um, you know, we're, we're weird because we have two buildings, which is just <laughs> odd. Uh, but you know what, we're, we're seen and people know us. And um, th- that's a huge benefit and a blessing to revitalization that I didn't really think through. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do church planting, a lot of times it's like, oh, you could set up in a storefront or do whatever. And that can certainly work in, in certain places. Um, maybe a little tougher in New England because you, you kind of seem a little culty sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unless you've been here a hundred years. Um, and, and a lot of that's misconceptions, but th- there's something to be said for the historical presence in a town. And I think if you can step into that and cultivate that, it can be a huge blessing um, and, a, and a huge thing. Um, so and I've often said that about our, uh, in our town, there's these beautiful congregational churches that are completely liberal and are really like community centers. Uh, and I just thought, man, I think the ideal scenario would be some new wine in that old wine skin, yeah. you know, to have this New England aesthetic and town green presence, uh, but just to have the new wine of the new covenant raging through it, you know? Well, and it's funny because, as you know, I was up there last year in your town and uh, my wife and I went and stayed for two nights and, and, and really enjoyed it up there. But I was actually shocked at how many church buildings your town has, like historic, you know, big old Baptist one, big old congregational one, Methodist, like you had some people who used to go to church up there, right? <laughs> you don't build buildings like that back in the day unless you, they were full. Yeah. And now it's a pharmacy or a concert hall or, a, you know, yes, it's, it's a like pictorial of what's happening in this, the state of the, the town. And I think that's true all over New England in large part. 
Yeah. And I think one, you know, one of the things that's been surprising to me, as I said, I was completely wrong. I thought I would come to my church and they'd run me off preaching one time. And that's not in, in fact at all what happened. And so I think sometimes we can look at the building, maybe even look at the denominational connections and think, oh, there's no life there. When in fact, Christ has his people all over. Sometimes it's sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, amen. Um, and, and, you know, there may be situations where, you know, a guy goes and steps in for a revitalization and people don't want to hear God's word and they run him off. And that, that, um, that's bound to happen. But I think maybe we'd be surprised uh, at, at how many sheep God has scattered throughout and they, they just need a faithful shepherd to, mm. to patiently, um, patiently bring the word and nourishment and health back to um, sometimes dying congregations. And so I, I really believe in the work of revitalization. I've really, um, I, I can tell from my own personality, church planting, um, it's not for me. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little too chill for it. You know, you got to be a little you know, a little, a little more type A than I am, a little, maybe a little more neurotic and, um, and, and more, maybe more of a go-getter, um, but me stepping into a structure that already existed and, and working with people, because I'm a big people person, uh, that, that I, I've just, I feel like as I've stepped into that, I've said, okay, church, church planting, I mean, you know, the Lord can change anything, but church planting is not where my giftings lie, but and, and praise God for the guys that, that do. And, and I think the same is true. There's going to be guys who would be better church planners than revitalizers. <clears throat> um, yeah, man. And so what, I, yeah, what I want to do, and this would probably be a good way to phrase this question, because I want to be a place where we can train people for gospel ministry, be it church planting or revitalization. And I want to just have like a one size fits all cookie cutter approach. Like, Hey, you're either going to be a church planner or, or we can't, we can't train you. I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Um, so if I uh, had guys in our church developed leaders and really saw the call of God on a guy's life, he seemed like he was burdened to step into a pastorate and had the wiring for what you call a patient discipleship. How would, how would you train that brother? Like, how would you advise me to train that brother in terms of lessons learned or or things that he would need to know going into a revitalization. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, and patience is, is the key. Um, patience is the key. I think I, I jokingly said when I came here, I couldn't have done this work 10 years ago. Um, I would have been too nitpicky about stuff. I would have been too pushy about stuff. I would have pushed too hard about secondary doctrinal issues. I couldn't have done it when I was younger. I don't I think just, just the way, you know, sometimes when you're studying theology, you want to fight, you want to pick fights instead of leading people along. Mm -hmm. And, and, and um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things is that, that whole patience, patience and, and, and taking someone just taking someone by the hand and saying, let me help you and lead you to the truth. But um, I think one of the things I would teach guys from the get go, and th this is no matter what is uh, we're sinners discipling other sinners. Mm -hmm. We, we um, you know, how sinful you are. I know how sinful I am. We know how sinful we are above more than anyone else ever sees. And so I think, um, 
you know, everyone has different post, you know, backgrounds and struggles. Um, but I think just recognizing that and, and, and asking the Lord to keep us humble, um, because, you know, revitalization, church planting, whatever, you can think I'm the guy with all the answers mm -hmm. and everyone else is wrong here. Um, and, and I think we just have to be reminded regularly of, man, we're sinners big time. And, uh, you know, it, your, your home life proves that to you daily, I think, especially yeah. if you have kids. Um, yeah, that's right. But yeah, so I think that that's key, starting from that posture of humility. Uh, and posture of humility and need for grace, um, just daily, moment by moment, um, just we're all messed up and we all need more and more grace. And so so in remembering that as we're shepherding other people, they're going to have different struggles than you. And let's be honest, other people's struggles are easy to point out and be like, what the heck is wrong with them? Uh, but the reality is they could look at you and say, what the heck's wrong with you? Why do you struggle with that? Um, so I would, I would start there. Yeah. Just really posture of humility and going in and not, not trying to go in and say, I'm here to save and fix this place. Because at the end of the day, it's only Jesus that can and will do that. Um, and you can make, you can make changes. Uh, you, you can make changes fast and hard. Um, but I think, you know, the next thing I would say is preparing guys to be steady, steady and gospel centered, like, um, don't get rattled. You're going to hear things. You're going to, you're going to see things. You're going to, you know, don't get rattled. Get, come in with a long-term plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I can't remember, I'm going to say this probably wrong. Uh, but I remember hearing Mark Dever and John Piper, Piper talk about their respective churches. And I think Piper's was something like 12 years, 15 years before they had the elders affirmation of faith that he wanted. I think I've heard Mark Dever say something along the lines of nine years before he had the music he wanted at his church. Um, and I think going in for the long haul, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer. And I said this to the church, like, I, I want to come here and, and I want to die here. Um, you know, I, I want not too soon, not too soon. Uh, not anytime soon, but, but just saying, the, you know, the Lord can call people away and change our plans, obviously. Right. Yeah. But I want my plan to say, I want to plant my family. I want to plant my life in this town for life. So recently we've been having some conversations at church and I said to somebody, you know, to be honest, I would love, and, and this, this might be me being naive uh, because it doesn't usually seem to work this way. I would love to retire here and come here to church with my grandkids for the next guy who's the pastor and just be an encourager. And, and, you know, uh, that doesn't seem to usually happen, but that's what I would like to see happen. I, I want to build my life here and not have this kind of, well, I'm here until I'm not posture, which it seems can be common. That's a good amen. And I think that a sense of calling and a resolve makes it easier when you get into tough scenarios that feel really hard if you've been anticipating them and you've got this resolve to stay regardless uh seems like that's so important if you've got kind of a you don't have a stomach for conflict or being patient and waiting through change uh with a real prayerfulness and a resolve 
seems like you wouldn't last very long in a revitalization setting. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that can be one of the things. Sometimes we, there are things we want to see change and it's like that might not need to change for five years that, you know, how many things need to be taught about and thought about and worked through because what I've seen sometimes is guys will go into church and say, Oh, we need to change X, Y, and Z. And they do need to change X, Y, and Z. They just don't need to do it immediately. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not talking about first order, you know, um, not talking about sin. You're not talking about sin. You're not talking about not no church discipline for five years or whatever else. You're just saying like, look, there's some what Bonhoeffer would call the wish dream. There's this ideal of where we want to get to, yeah, and we need to plot along. Yeah, yeah, because you think about it. You you've come to understandings. I've come to understandings about certain things from scriptures about certain ways churches work through years of thinking about it, praying about it, dialoguing about it, arguing about it, <laughs> even. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I think we expect people, you know, we can even give them like, hey, here's the Bible verse sheet. Here's the proof text. Um, now let's go make this decision. Uh, when, it's, when it's not always that simple when you're dealing with emotions and, um, you know, just folks who maybe have never even thought through certain issues. And I think what I found, man, cause I have not, uh, I've not been in revitalization, but there are sometimes in discipling people where you feel like you're, you're part of their revitalization. And I have thought often as a pastor that I, I wanted to save people some of the heartache of learning the lessons the way that I did. And if I could just teach them some of what I know now, then maybe they could fast track some sanctification. Like I could give them some shortcuts. Um, and I often want to do that too for my four-year-old and it just has never worked. <laughs> like he's just stayed for, so there's no shortcuts for sanctification. Like they have to go through this same growth in the Lord's timing that, that you went through and you need to be patient, uh, in shepherding through that process. Well, and as you know, with your kids, everyone's got different personalities. And so you might have that kid that needs a firmer, sterner talking to and, and a little more straightforward. Uh, and that's the only way they get it. But then you have the other child that you just say anything with a little bit of a tone and they're broken. And mm -hmm. they're, you know, but, but if you use different methods on either, you're going to break their spirit. Mm -hmm. Um or, or be just totally ineffective. And so I think you, you definitely have to be able to read people, read situations, yeah. read context. Um, because again, you know, if you're a firebrand, um, that may be needed in certain situations and at certain times, but it can't be the, the all that you are, especially in a revitalization, because there are going to be people with different needs and different different personalities, different ways of working through things um, that, that just, you know, it's not going to work well that way. Yeah. I want to close this out with some rapid fire real quick. So you ready? It's a hot yeah. seat. If you were to give counsel to a church in need of revitalization, like what would you want the church to know or counsel to the church that feels the need for revitalizations and is looking out there for somebody to come um, bring health and life to them? I would say get a guy who's about the word. First and foremost, he's got to be about God's word. He's got to believe uh, that God has spoken. He hasn't stuttered. And 
who's got a Christ-centered interpretation of the word, who's going to bring everything back to Christ, what he's done for us, someone who is serious about the grace of God. And depending on your context, I would maybe uh, get a guy who's lived a little bit of a life, not a guy right out of school, a guy who's maybe had a career or done some other things with his life, who knows how to work with people in certain situations and knows how to work with committees and groups of people um, and not, not maybe not a guy fresh out of school who's um, ready to fight about stuff. Yeah. Got to be patient. And, and in terms of what they can expect, uh, I mean, I know God's sovereign and everybody's story is different, but yeah, what would you have wanted your church to know or have a, an understanding of when you're coming in? Uh, the church has to be gracious with the pastor um, and, and understanding. And it, so it's got to work both ways that there's going to be some decisions your pastor is going to make that might be, that might feel too rushed, that might feel too harsh, but give them grace and patience too. And I, I, I have that at my church. I've, there's probably been, I know there's been things I've wanted to rush. There's been decisions I've made that uh, people have been gracious. And, and we have a congregation that says, this is my church. I'm committed here. Uh, come hell or high water, um, you know, in, in some ways, sometimes these revitalizations, you've got folks at the pews who, hey, we'll outlive this guy anyway um, <laughs> here. And, and but, but being gracious with them and understanding and not walking away too soon. Yeah, that's good. All right, man, helpful resources. Like, do you have books that you've read? I know you mentioned Overseed. What, where would you point guys to if they're looking for additional equipping or encouragement in this area? Man, one of the guys, gosh, I wish I had it in front of me because I, I forget the name of it. One of the guys in Overseed wrote a book about church revitalization in particular in New England that was very helpful. Um, I, I can't recall it right now. It's, I, it'll be on their website. Um that would be good. I think, I think just, um, you know, one of the things I find helpful is listening to other preachers. Um, it, one of the things I would say, I'm just going to add this real quick because I think it's really important. Don't come in in a revitalization preaching 50 minute sermons. Listen to some good preaching that's a little shorter, a little sharper. Um, you know, you got to build up to certain time limits. And so listen to some guys who, who can preach. You know, one of the, one of the guys I love to listen to preaching um, is Tom Schreiner. Brilliant man, but is preaching, you know, when I used to listen, 30-minute sermons that were short, compact, and everyone could understand them. You know, here, here's, a, here's a brilliant guy who could be teaching up here. Um, and, and listen to a wide array, listen to the, pro we talked earlier, listen to the prophet types, listen to the, the counseling type pastors and um, listen widely and, and, and listen outside of your tribe. Um, even when you have some disagreements, don't, don't get too pigeonholed with one style, one, one, one tribe, Be, get broad in, yeah. in your thinking. No, that's really wise, man. All right, bro. Well, so parting encouragement, if you were uh, just going to give a final word of exhortation or encouragement to guys in this setting for their continuance in the process, uh, give us a final parting word. On the patient theme, be patient and watch for fruit. There, there brings me no more joy than to have someone who's been a member of the church for a long time, which this has happened numerous occasions, come to me and say, 
you know, I feel like I really get grace now that, 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 that it's not what Jesus did and what I add to it, but it's all of what he did. And all I can do is receive it. People who've been believers a long time, watch for fruit and celebrate the fruit. Yeah, Be excited good. about it. Talk about it. Um, and, and, and because that stuff will keep you going on the days where it's frustrating. Cause it will be, it will be. That's good, man. Thanks so much for your time and yep. uh, for your faithful endurance. It's an awesome example for us and uh, excited to see what God continues to do in Wellington. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for what you guys are doing. It's important. And I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe all of us getting to be old men one day in, in our respective towns and come together and get to share stories about what Listen, bro, you're already there. I'm just trying to catch up with you. <laughs> yeah, my beard is getting gray. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much. All right, man. Peace. I'm grateful to Nate for his time. That book that he mentioned is Church Replanter by James Harrell. And James Harrell also recently this year wrote a book called Praying for Church Revitalization. I have not read that yet, uh, but I'm sure that it would be a helpful resource coming from uh, Nate's recommendation. Hey, I want to encourage you and leave you with blessings that I've read recently from 2 Thessalonians. May the Lord Jesus himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We'll see you next time.